Blog Talk Radio. Once again, once again, once again, you're tuned in live to Beyond Words with Shanessa White and Darrell Douglas. We are just so excited about today because we're going to have a great conversation about protesting America. Uh, Certainly timely with all of the things that are going on, but before we begin, how are you, Shanessa? I'm good. I'm good. Um, This week is better than last week. I'm not, I I think my anxiety was like at about um, 95%. I think I'm down to about 75, just barely, but we'll see. Okay. (laughs) 75 (laughs) is definitely better than 95 when you're not taking a test. So that's good. Yes. That is good. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. Um, this this is, I think, getting to all of us and uh, with the country opening up and the things that we're seeing on television, um, social media and all of that, I think it's having an effect on all of us. And I think people are in denial if they say none of this has affected me in any way. So, um we're certainly glad that uh, you, as well as Darrell, have been able to communicate the truth, you know, about what's going on in America. Yes. So, so today we're going to talk about protesting America. There have been a number of protests across the country, uh, Michigan, uh, Illinois, and uh several other parts of the country protesting, saying, you know, we want to get our hair uh, done. We want to go to the beauty um, store and all of these other things, you know, barbershops and things of that nature. And um, there's a deeper analysis that can go into those protests, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Tell me your perspective when it comes to the protest saying, hey, I want to go to the barbershop and all these other places and get my nails done and all of that. I mean, I literally, the the disregard that we have for human life is mind-boggling to me right now. Um, putting our own personal needs above someone's personal health and safety is um, just, it's, it, it is beyond ridiculous, it, I can't really put into words how I feel about it because when I think about what those people are saying, every word about this stay-at-home order or, the, you know, the self-quarantine order, every word that comes out of their mouths are about how they feel and what they want and the selfishness and the me-centered perspective about a pandemic is just ridiculous. There, there's no other way to to describe it. Um, 
when I look at it, whether it's something as simple as we're going to protest and tear up orders and, and we're going to make, you know, reporters take their mask off. I'm not wearing a mask. Like, just when you think about the disregard and the disrespect for human life and for other individuals that we're here right now, it's, it's amazing to me. And it's sad. It's infuriating. And it makes me even angrier because it's all about them and not about us. So do you think this is more a, um, you mentioned what they need. And is this a need or is this a want? Because I, you know, when, I, when I look at this, I, I, I don't see what's being protested as a need. When I think of need, I'm thinking shelter, water, air, you know, <laughs> oxygen, you know, Ooh, something yeah. we, we need. But these things, for me, when I look at the protests, I'm thinking these are not things that you need. If your hair is growing and your, your uh, dye is going away, first you can actually go to Kroger and purchase some dye and dye your hair yourself. But that's another story, <laughs> you know, but I don't see it as a need. I see it as a want. So so is, is that the problem that you have with this, that it's not really a, a necessity? I, because if someone said, you know, I think I would have a very different perspective if there were individuals out there who said, you know what, I'm one week from being homeless. I have no food. I have no, no aid. I, my kids, I'm destitute. I need to get back to work. I think I would have more respect the approach, but I don't because I'm not seeing that. There isn't anyone out there protesting based on necessity. What they're protesting mm-hmm. on is based on their need to want and desire and their comfortability versus someone actually dying because you want a haircut. And that's like the now, first now part that I have that I'm – go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no. I mentioned earlier about this being a deeper issue, and and just as you mm-hmm. said, it, it doesn't seem like the the main protest is, hey, I have to get back to work. It seems like the main protest that we currently see, and, and maybe this is just the media, I'm not exactly sure, is, hey, I, I need to go get a haircut. And and is that really I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that that is the issue. That appears to be the issue of the majority, that I need to go and get my hair cut. And, and for me, it's a deeper issue because if you're saying that your haircut is worth your life, then what kind of life are you leading? And that, that false statement come, though, I think, um, shrouded in false invincibility. And they're shrouded mm-hmm. in um, ignorance, quite frankly, because they have not experienced. I have yet to see one person at any of these protests who said, yes, I've recovered from COVID-19 or I have someone who has passed away from this. Not one person mm-hmm. who has experienced this virus is out there shouting from the rooftops, get back to work, don't wear a mask. Um, this is ridiculous, and, and I need a haircut. Nobody is doing that. So it's that false, in, you know, that false invincibility, that shroud that it won't happen to me. 
that I think is perpetuated, quite frankly, even by de facto GOP leaders and GOP leaders. Just today, Rand Paul, who actually has had the virus, has said he has said he will not wear a mask when he returned to work, even though everyone else around him is going to wear a mask. Because he says, I can't give it to anyone and no one can give it to me. Well, that has not been proven, one. Two, just common courtesy of people around you, you should not be exposing them to you because we don't know if it's completely dormant in your body. These are things exactly. that is infuriating. Like, I, I read that and I literally, like, my blood pressure instantly <laughs> began to rise because. <laughs> I could not believe someone as educated and well-off would be making such ridiculous statements. But then you turn the other lens to that and you have, you know, de facto GOP leaders saying we have to accept there's going to be a lot of death. Where is that acceptable? And why do I have to accept it? And why is it that you're sitting here obese with diabetes you have the same conditions, yet you want to tell everyone else just go out and make themselves vulnerable when you yourself may not even ever have to leave the house, but you want to restart an economy. For what? Yeah. I don't like the fact that people of color, the disabled, the handicapped, those that are vulnerable because of, um, you know, existing, pre-existing conditions, I don't like the fact that we – that there is this premise that they are expendable and that, you know, only the strong shall survive. That is ridiculous. It is inhumane. I I agree. I agree with what you're saying. And I think that, that it's, everybody's gotten into this and and people are very comfortable at this point. It's as if a light switch went back on when you look at the weekend and everything, you know, people going out and going to the beaches and all of that. And, again, the protests, in, protests that were in Michigan and Illinois and, 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 again, other places across the country with no masks, uh, shouting into the officers' faces and things of that nature, it, it, it's gotten to a point where I'm questioning some things when, and, and I'm going to bring up this subject, um, I'm questioning, do blue lives matter? Because when well, yeah, African Americans were protesting, <laughs> because we're going to go into these areas here tonight, um, do blue lives matter? Yeah. Because they mattered when we were protesting, saying, hey, don't shoot us. That That's a real threat that well, is I happening can, I can actually in America. Take it one step further and say, um, when you arrive, as if you are a part of a death squad with automatic weapons and bulletproof vests on to Mm -hmm. protest and to do it in such a manner where you are screaming and yelling into the faces of law enforcement and politicians. Um, It is peak white privilege, peak, because I can Mm -hmm. assure you not one person of color could remotely, remotely approach the Capitol with a handgun, let alone an automatic weapon loaded and a bulletproof vest on attempting to say that they are peacefully protesting. 
as much as I want to test that theory, I do not want people of color to die because guess what? I know that suddenly blue lives would more than matter and we would not have the president saying, make a deal with these good people. They're angry. Guess what? Being angry and white does not give you the right to offend, accost, yell, scream, bully, or push anybody to do anything. Okay. I think we can end the show right there. Uh. <laughs> I'm just done with this. I mean, the white privilege, the, the privilege that went with not only automatic weapons, but having your children out here performing in Barack Obama masks and tap dancing at 1130 in the afternoon, exposing kids to your rhetoric and your racism and your prejudice, and then all trying to wrap it gloriously into the American flag and about your freedoms and your rights. It's just more than ridiculous. It is, it is the epitome of white privilege and ignorance all wrapped together and promoted and pushed by the president. And that is the shame of this entire country. So let's look at the other side. So if someone were to say, well, Chanessa, listen, we are standing up for our rights. We have a right to speak in public. We have a right to carry the types of guns that, you know, we want to carry, you know, it's in the laws. We can carry those specific types. Uh, we have permits, although I don't know whether anybody was checking permits. That's another thing. So what what's the problem? This is our right. So let's talk about the We policing. love America. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the policing of America during this pandemic. What was stark in very stark contrast on Sunday in New York City, there was four black males and two black females where a black male ended up with a police officer's foot on his neck because they were not social distancing. At that same hour across town, there were white sunbathers where the police officer was actually passing out masks to them who were not observing or practicing social distancing. Same police force, different ways of policing our communities. Initially, young black man was actually arrested, charged with all types of ridiculous charges. Yes. And this officer knew he was being recorded. He just thought nothing would happen. He just thought nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. Yet yesterday, all the charges were dropped and he was released on Sunday. The over-policing of our communities, the NYPD has always been that way. But when you think about even in a pandemic that we are, we are subject to the older policing, that tells you what they think about our humanity and who we are. Across town, same police force. They're passing out what, Please. Over here. But somebody will say, look, look, he should have just complied. He should have worn a mask. He should have. Stop doing whatever he was doing and listen to the officer. That's what he should have done. Just as, again, as I say to you, we don't know uh, from what I could tell whether he was compliant or not. 
um, obviously wasn't complying with the order because he did not have a face mask. I just ask that the justice be um, balanced and fair across each community because currently it is not. It's the same way in Michigan where you had people spitting in the face of law enforcement and not $1,000 social distancing ticket was written. Not one person was checked to see if they actually legally owned those guns that they were wielding so freely on the steps of the Capitol. Yet here we are in the cities of Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, um, in those the dense areas in which there are a lot of African Americans and Hispanics. There are $1,000 tickets being passed out like candy for not social distancing. So is this another example of black lives not mattering, that they don't matter? They still don't matter even in the pandemic. Is it more pronounced that they really don't matter because we're going to do what we want to do? Uh, And when I'm saying that, I mean the other communities. We're going to do what we want to do. If we want to protest, we're going to protest. But we better not see you protest because we're not – blue lives matter in particular when something is being done to somebody else, but not when we feel like it's being done to us. So exactly, because again, you can it goes be upset, back to... you can be, be angry, no, but is this, is, is America showing the pronounced racism to say, hey, even during a pandemic, you are still in this particular position. We know that you're dying, but we have to get back to work as if, you know, the other communities, <laughs> uh, the vulnerable populations, all of that, they don't have to get back to work. We have to get back to work. So what message is America sending to us when they say we're reopening? We understand that potentially, and I think the president has now upped the numbers and said potentially 100,000 people uh, will die. But essentially it's not going to be us because we're not the ones who who are dying from it. We're catching it, but we're not dying from it. Mm-hmm. So what message so is, think is America sending? America is, send the, is sending the message that it's always sent. And I'll just say that. Um, you, people of color have always been thought to be less than uh, people not of color, whether it's in education, whether it's in social standing, class, even physical stamina to some extent some extent, um, until we invaded every port. Uh, so when you think about it, it's America's doing what America's always done. It's putting, it's putting money before lives, and mm-hmm. it, has a, it has a motto, quite frankly, of only the strong survive. And yeah. that motto has not only, you know, it used to be a silent motto, a silent creed, if you will. It's been amplified and blown up and put it could be placed on a billboard because it has a champion in the White House who champions all of these ignorant displays of protests about things that are not even uh, being stomped upon <laughs> your right to exist um, your your right your right to, to bear arms all of these things it's been amplified to the point where you've got all these people who are so afraid of the browning of America and the changing of America and the integration that's happening that they themselves have, you know, they're going to rise up and they're going to 
you know, do whatever this president says, and they're going to let their feelings and their sentiment be known. If you think about where these protests were, they were small and inconsequential until a few tweets went out that, you know, liberate mm-hmm. Michigan, liberate Wisconsin, liberate Illinois. And I'm like, dude, you can liberate some PPE for the healthcare workers. How about you liberate some other aid for the people who are dying? How about you liberate that? Yes. But literally, it was a dog whistle. It was a dog whistle. And suddenly, you know, we go from seeing these small, errant protests to these significantly large, heavy-armed men carrying Nazi signs and you know, oh, but the Nazi sign, we're saying that the governor is a Nazi. No, player, you don't always got Nazi paraphernalia wherever y'all go. Don't be trying to turn around like you're using it to identify her because you're not. So, again, right. I can't even imagine why we're here. Well, I, I know why we're here. The reality is November, it's a, it, that this November election will be a referendum on who we are as people. It's not just going to be about whether you want, you know, I'm not going to vote because the Dems never do anything for me or um, I'm going to vote because Trump's doing a great job. It really goes back to what is the heart and soul of America. And right now, the heart and soul belongs to the bigots, the racists, and those who don't want anyone but themselves and people who look like them to have the American dream. That's the problem. Do you think the division is staged? Do you think it's planned in terms of if if everyone paused, which I think this whole thing is was a moment for all of us to pause and really consider a lot of different things in our lives, if we all stopped for mm-hmm. one moment and looked mm-hmm. at who who who's pulling these strings? Who's making I us would angry with people we don't even know? We've never met. Uh, we, exactly. we probably eat with them at work sometimes, and maybe they're doing other things online. But my point is I'm considering also that there is something behind the scenes that's going on that says let's divide, divide and conquer, because mm-hmm. that's the only way certain people will continue to get into office. And this is not a Democrat thing. This is not a Republican thing. This is a people thing of saying, okay, you know, I've, I've seen some posts on uh, Facebook, for example, and certain people who I thought was, you know, okay, cool, liberal, and, you know, that type of situation. But this is showing me something different, you know. But mm-hmm. I also think that there's something going on behind the scenes to separate us so that we can't look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, it, it's kind of like two two women fighting over a man. They're mm-hmm. not holding him responsible or accountable at all. It's like, well, you this, you that, and, you know. And at some point, those of us who are looking at the fight are saying, hmm, you're fighting the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You're fighting her, but you have a commitment with him. You don't have a commitment with this woman. But we won't mm-hmm. stop as a country and say, wait a minute, let's figure this out. Because right now they're saying they're giving us money. They're giving us stimulus money or whatever. That's our money. Stop it. I want everybody to understand. You pay taxes. 
<laughs> so they're not giving you a loan. They're not giving you something that, you know, was never yours. The government took the money from you. If you guys don't remember that day when you got a check, they took the money from you. They're giving you your money back. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, it, it's I, about, I for me, you're... stopping for a moment. Go ahead. Yeah, it's about understanding, you know, that's how when people are like, you should thank the president for this stimulus check. Well, I didn't have to thank him because two reasons. One, I didn't get one. And two, had I got one, I still wouldn't have thanked him for giving me (laughs) access to my money. So, again, (laughs) I pay into a system that should take care of me when it is necessary. And that is just plain and simple. There's no... There's nothing about wrong about that. Everyone is paid into that system some in some way. But you're right. We are in this place where, as you can see today, you know, with all these protests that are happening and governors that are loosening restrictions, I'm very proud of Governor Whitmer um, as well as Governor DeWine um, in Ohio and Michigan who basically kept their orders in place and continued upon their path to helping save lives, regardless of what Mm -hmm. was happening with these um, protesters. My biggest fear in this country is that someone's going to die in a manner that is so senseless because of the rhetoric that comes out of the White House. That is my biggest fear today. It's not the coronavirus. It, It truly is not, believe it or not. That's a fear. It's big. But my biggest fear is we're going to see more and more senseless deaths um, because of the rhetoric that comes out of the out of the White House, whether it's to um, hold these ridiculous protests, wearing your guns, they're trampling on your Second Amendment rights, which I again I have seen no no way, fashion, shape, or form how a stay-at-home order is doing that. It's just again dog whistles and ways to rile up these people who are so disenfranchised because of their stations or positions in life. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So so here's a question, and, you know, people may not consider this, but what is the difference between uh, Kaepernick's protest and the protests that we're seeing now? I just like to know because it was more of a silent protest, and uh, the president um, stated that you know he should stop and said some other nasty things that I don't really have to say or mm-hmm. repeat. But for the mm-hmm. people, I believe in Michigan or Illinois, he supported these good people, and they have a right to you know protest. So what what is the difference? You know exactly what the difference is. The difference is one, um, you know, and, and the best, the, the most effective way to protest is to protest in a manner that makes people feel uncomfortable. Um, what better way to feel uncomfortable than to watch your favorite pastime and to see the visible wounds and scars, but you know, demonstrated by this protest of what police brutality has done to the people of color in this in this country. Um, it makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to see that. You know, it's like a man beating his wife and, you know, she's got two black eyes and he's like, put makeup on. I don't ever want to see that because that's literally what we're doing. When you think mm. about 
that protest versus this particular protest, this particular protest became much more personal. Personal. It was more about their wants and needs and what they wanted versus what this multimillionaire um, football player who just happens to not want the people who look like him to die at the hands of law enforcement or to be, or for the communities that look like him to not be over police. You know, this was, you know, it's ridiculous. We gave him an opportunity. He's making millions. Why does he even care? Versus now it's me. It's my situation, my dilemma. Mm-hmm. You need to care. I pay your I pay your salary. I elected you, which I'm pretty sure they did not. Oh, and that's the other side of the coin. I don't like this elected official. So of course, yes, I can I can be as as brutal as I really want to be. Now I'll tell you what's interesting about that too. That's really what the difference is. But I'll tell you what's really interesting. If you look at the images that were captured and you see the angry white men yelling into the face of these very calm law enforcement officers, which I have to commend them because no one was mm-hmm. trigger happy. I was very, very, very um, just the utmost respect for what was happening to them. Um, when you look at those images, I often wonder when people go back and see themselves, like if I saw myself yelling and screaming in someone's face in that manner, just being the, the human being that I am, I would be so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would be so embarrassed beyond belief. I just don't know if these people have that level of humanity. But, again, I've always said when when we decided back in 2012 that someone could walk into an elementary school and kill children as young as six years old and we did nothing about it, when we made that decision, I knew from that moment on that every day in this country our lives are taken for granted. Um, if, if the lives of little kids that look like them didn't matter, mm. I know those that, I know, quite frankly, where I stand when that did not matter. Wow. And every, what was it, I think 750 plus or 1,700, whatever it is, I don't know that number today, of school shootings that have happened. But when I think about that day, I remember where I was that December, what I was doing when I heard that, and then the mm-hmm. subsequent things that happened those months after, and we did nothing. That let me know that any one of us out here, people of color, that our lives don't mean that much to them either. Mm. Now, what role in, does social media have to play in this? And the reason that I asked the question is because when I did watch some of the protesters, I saw some of them kind of looking over as if I hope the camera is on me, mm-hmm. as if, you know, yeah, I'm going to keep yelling because I want mm-hmm. the camera to be on me. I want um, NBC and CBS and ABC at some point interview me. I want to be famous. I want to be famous, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be out here. I may not even believe what I'm saying and I'm yelling, but if I am that photo, everybody's going to come and look for me. What role does social media have in these protests? Well, I think that social, it's funny because social media is a double-edged sword for sure. 
It can make you famous or infamous. It depends on which role. Depending on which actions are. You know, there are those who, yeah, I want to, you know, I believe in this cause. I want to get as much, much of the exposure that I personally can, and I will protest to, um, I will do everything possible to get as much attention, as many likes and shares that I possibly can get. Um, the other side of that are consequences to social media, depending on your role and station in life. And I firmly believe that um, the city of Anoc, California, made the right decision recently when their commissioner of planning actually um, went onto social media and made all these ridiculous comments about herd immunity and how back in the day that herds would allow nature to take its course so the weak, the young, um, you know, those that couldn't survive, nature would just take its course. Anyone who is in a public, yes, yes. Um, Apparently you can be fired by Zoom, by the way. Um, I don't think he knew that, but he was. Um, It was a unanimous vote that he would be fired for his comments because they were not reflective of anyone that you would want responsible for making any decisions that impact anyone else's life, public life. No Mm. one in any public office should have made the comments or statements that he made. And then he attempted to separate them. You know, these are my personal views. They don't reflect um, my job. But guess what? Yeah, they do, because we all take who we are as people into the roles that we are. There's no way I could go work in a Nazi organization, a Ku Klux Klan organization, or any organization that was about oppression, because it's not who I am. So for you to say that's not, that doesn't affect your job and the decisions that you make, I'm pretty sure it does. But doesn't he have so, a case? In terms of look at the no. president. The president says whatever he wants to say. He's in office. He's in the highest office, according the to America. According to North any, America. Any governing governing body who has a social media mm-hmm. policy, which every entity does, that you have to be very careful about the comments that you make. And I I go back to the best advice I've ever gotten from um, my time at Walmart was. Be careful with your words because, remember, anything that you say could end up on the cover of Wall Street Journal. So you think about your words very carefully. Mm-hmm. And I, I use that filter even in social media today. I may be very blunt and I may very, be very curt about what I, what I share and what I say, um, but if you plaster it all over the wall, I can tell you I'm not going to be embarrassed by 99% of it. Some of it might just be silly. But I often operate, and I would tell other people to operate in that mode, that whatever you put out in that universe, it stays there whether you delete it or not, and it becomes who you are, and it actually reflects who you are. So, yeah, I think social media has fanned the flames of a lot of this, both sides of of the equation. Um, but there are some good things out of social media on this where you find camaraderie with individuals you don't know who do want us all to live through this pandemic. Um, you find camaraderie with those people who do think that the comments that are coming out of the White House are inflaming and causing division 
and does not reflect the type of leadership that we want um, in times of a pandemic where we should all we should all all be talking about unity and finding common ground, um, putting politics aside. But we can't do that when we're not allowed to because the leadership doesn't bring it to the table. Exactly. Exactly. We 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 are lacking in leadership right now. In we are lacking so poorly in leadership. Um, I will tell you, I often thought that um, George W. Bush, I have to get that one right, um, the junior Bush, I thought his presidency was the worst thing in my lifetime. Um, as I reflect upon where we are now versus where we were then, <laughs> Um, yes, they, they, you can't even put the two in the same column. At least the office carried the dignity, the respect, and the yes. culpability that you expected from a leader. And even though there were gaps here and there, I will tell you I remember coherent and cohesive sentences. Um, I remember um, not you know, having these warnings come from companies saying don't ingest or inject. <laughs> we we had none of that. We had <laughs> none of this silliness that comes, this showmanship that comes from the office. So when a man of his caliber, you know, which we were like, oh, gosh, like even I remember, um, you know, he was almost like a pariah for a while in the GOP yeah. at the end of his own presidency. But I think about and reflect upon what he has done with his life since then and how he has attempted to mend bridges and to to build relationships with people across the aisle. And I found his message so profound, calling for unity in the face of a pandemic that we don't know. You know, there's, this is uncharted territory for us all. We need to walk together um, to get through it. And I thought that was a well-placed message, and I thought that message would be well-received within the White House and everywhere else. Instead, it was rebuked beyond belief, and actually, you know, it came down to the president actually saying, where were you when they were impeaching me? And I'm like, dude, what does that have to do with today? Where you were in January, it was not his place then. He is coming to the people as a former leader and attempting to give you an olive branch to show you how you should be behaving, how you should be calling for unity, how you should be asking the people for calm, and how you should be driving that type of message. But yet, here we are with a petty president so, who can only think about himself. It, it's, it's actually mind-boggling where we are right now. But fast forward into the future, 10 years, because we were assured, oh, Lord, please don't let me be wrong, we're assured that he will not be president or dictator or king. Um, <laughs> do you think history will look different? I don't think history will look different because here's why history won't look different. Uh, The damage that this presidency will do will, you know, it it has already changed. It's changed history, um, at least from one other administration. That's the Nixon administration. 
because suddenly mm-hmm. Nixon looks like child play and everything that we've recovered from then. But the damage that's been done in the last three years and now on the brink of this pandemic that could lead us to a significant recession like we've never seen, this will take decades to repair. Mm-hmm. Um Literally every month of his presidency, I feel, has taken us back at least one decade. When they talk about make America great again, I'm pretty sure it's the 1950s or 60s that they're talking about where, again, we were still fighting for our own civil rights. So I don't take great I don't take great comfort in make America great again when it means that I have less rights, less opportunity, and less I am treated less than human in this country. That does not make this make America great again. So, when you think about it, right now the the <laughs> the judgeships that he has appointed, the stacking of those courts that we will live with beyond this presidency, and some of those judgeships are lifetime appointments. This yeah. will be for decades. We will feel this. Pain um, that we just never we just never thought would come out of this presidency. If I had known it was going to be this bad, I would have fought to get more people registered. If I had yeah. a glimpse into how bad it could have been, I would have pushed more people to vote. Um, you know, I would have asked people to swallow their pride about Hillary and their misgivings about Hillary because I, even at the end of the day. The one thing I could have possibly been assured of is that a woman in that position would not put us in this position. And the reason I can say that is I look at all the other women-led countries and none of them have the number of cases, infections, or death that we do. Mm. Not one. So do you think anyone is going to, with, with all of the mistakes, and, and some of them I don't really believe are mistakes. I think they're uh, planned initiatives. I'm going to call them that, <laughs> planned initiatives that have happened uh, throughout this presidency. Do you believe that at some point before November uh, people will start protesting this president? I mean, we're protesting uh, governors and going to their homes and all these other things that are happening throughout the country, will there be a group of people who will say, hey, we're protesting the wrong people. We need to uh, show some ingenuity, show some innovation. We need to come together and really protest this president. Do you think that will happen in the near future before November? I think that it will. And the reason I think that it will is that – Former um, Tea Party um, Senator, Tea Party uh, House Representative Leader Justin Amash has announced that he's forming a um, he's forming an exploratory committee to run as a third party candidate in November. Um, Mm -hmm. Justin Amash, who used to caucus primarily with the Republicans, has um, turned. Very, uh, he is he is by far one of the biggest critics of the president, and he has a 
stronghold in not just Michigan, but the reason he's he's um, using this exploratory committee to determine again what's his chances. I, I really don't see a third party candidate taking the presidency, but he will um, he will hurt both sides, and in him hurting both sides, mm-hmm. both Democrats and the Republicans, because he will take a great amount of those independent voters. Um, he could take them, and he will take some Republican yeah. voters because there is a faction there that is unsatisfied with who this president is. Now, yeah. <laughs> well, they they will rise up, but I think there's going to be two or three other factions. One's going to be the farmers. Farmers have been mm. getting food since four months into this presidency. They've received all these different supplemental aid packages, and now those aid packages are running dry. Some farmers are actually selling their food now directly to food banks and cooperatives, which you do wonder why those relationships are not in place anyway, but that's a different story. Exactly. Um, But you do have the heartland really not liking this president right now, like They don't want subsidies. They don't want handouts. They do not want to be bailed out. They want to sell what they are growing, what they are raising, what they are, you know, they want to sell what they are building. And this president has made that very hard with all of his tariff wars and all these other issues that he has still not resolved going into this final year of his presidency. So it's been very difficult. I think the last faction that you are going to see, it's going to be, um, excuse me, it's going to be the disenfranchised who thought when they voted for him three years ago that they would be better off today. And Mm. what has systemically happened for them is they've lost their SNAP benefits. (laughs) They have lost, they've lost a lot of jobs in their sectors. Their hospital systems are weaker than they've ever been because of denied visas of immigrant doctors who would actually come over and want to practice in those rural communities. And the final part that's going to break, that's going to be the straw that breaks Camel's back, will be the coronavirus as it infiltrates the mm-hmm. heartland. As soon as Mima and Papa and Will Susie start dying, it's going to be a different story. Um, yeah. I, I fundamentally believe it's going to be very different. Um, it's going to be much more heartbreaking than one could even imagine when you start to see those numbers stack up because we all know the rural hospitals cannot handle any volume whatsoever. They cannot treat, exactly. they cannot be effective, and that's going to be a problem. So what do we do beyond words? You know, what do we do next in terms of uh, protesting America? We we know that these are happening. They they may slow down based on you know uh, cities and states are opening up and people are going back to work and all of those things that are happening. What do we do now in terms of protesting America? How can we show our disapproval? Of what is happening, mm-hmm. and, and it, again, this is not a Republican thing. This is not a Democrat thing. What can we do now? What what protests can we participate in? What what ways can we show that we are not happy with this current situation? 
So I think one of the, the clearest signals that we can send is not to go to the hair salon, nail salon, tanning salon, gym, what have you, barbershop, not to go to those businesses on Friday. Um, as businesses start to open up and you see that there is not adequate testing or contact tracing in your community mm-hmm. and you see that you can't just call a 800 number or call your doctor to get referred to get a test today, you see that those key things that the CDC said should be in place for you to open safely, don't participate. If you see that people are not adhering to social distancing in businesses, you know, you want to support small restaurants, you want to support small businesses, but if they're not adhering to those CDC guidelines, and I I have to keep stressing that, CDC guidelines, not governor guidelines. I'm talking about CDC guidelines that keep you and your family safer from possibly contracting the virus versus politicians making rules that they hope and pray that people won't get infected. There's a very big difference. So I would say the first thing we do is follow those CDC guidelines. If we're going out, wear a protective covering. Make sure we're washing our hands, doing all those things. The second thing I would do is make sure that these politicians are held accountable. They're the ones saying it's safe enough to resume life as we knew it, and the reality is we can't resume life as we knew it. Um, We Mm -hmm. have to find a new next because this is not the new normal. We have to figure out what is the path what is the plan to emerge, and what are the factors that make us know that things are safer? Um, Right now, I'm in a panic in Texas because four days ago when restrictions were lifted, since then we've seen thousands upon thousands of cases that have happened in the last four days. Now that other business restrictions are being loosened, I am on edge to understand how those numbers are not going to double, triple, and essentially – Literally in four days, we've moved from being the the 11th state to have the most cases to the ninth state to have the most cases. That's four days. Wow. Four days. Wow. And here we are with high-touch businesses on Friday opening, and for those who have been clamoring for a haircut, I'm sure they'll go, and I'm sure they'll do that. But, again, I personally am not going to do that because even in my community, um, and I live in a community that is not um, an, what you would typically say an economically depressed area, there still is not enough testing or contact tracing in this community mm-hmm. that makes me comfortable enough to even go no further than the grocery store when necessary. Wow. So I would tell people to so, follow those guidelines keep their politicians accountable. And the third thing is make sure that you're registered to vote because if they're ignoring your calls, if they're ignoring your concerns, and you have an alternative to make sure that they are no longer doing that, that alternative is your voice and your vote. Don't wait until the last minute to determine, you know, I know you were registered to vote um, four years ago or three years ago if you haven't voted in three years or what have you. But make sure your voter registration is active and that it's right. And don't wait till the last minute because that's another way that they are suppressing our ability to vote. 
because of changes that they make that we may not be aware of. And we we also, in line with that, uh, we also have to make sure that our IDs are up to date because we that don't want any right. last-minute trickery going on here. Exactly. That's the real word. Uh, we, we don't want any of that. So basically what one of the things that you, you said is time-tested. This has been tested time after time when you – can have a silent protest with your dollars. And we're, we're not saying that we want any business to go out of business, but if no one is here, you won't have a business. So we, we have to consider those things. We have to consider the humanity. We have to consider life. And we can't say, well, my life is worth more than yours, or really not my life, my, my quality of life of going to get a haircut or my nails done, um, that's more important. Me going to a restaurant is more important than your life, even though more than likely when you go to that restaurant, your habits probably have changed. So you're going to see a lot of people going to restaurants to sit with someone mm-hmm. and ignore them while they're on their phone to be with somebody who is not even there, which you can do at mm-hmm. home. Just saying. Exactly. I'm not not suggesting that I want any small business to go out of business, but I would ask those people who are in small business, if they have the ability and the flexibility not to put themselves or their employees at risk, because if you think about it, they're at a higher exposure than the customers Mm -hmm. who are coming into their store because they're seeing hundreds upon hundreds of people per day, I'm walking in there right. one time exposed for five to ten minutes, but they're there for 10, 12 hours, what have you. If you have that ability to not um, put your employees at full risk for whatever reason, like I would suggest that they follow the cues of larger corporations. Here on Thursday, yes. Governor Abbott, or Friday, Governor Abbott said all the movie theaters can open. I can tell you all four chains, even two that are, I'm sorry, one that is actually based here in Plano, Cinemark, said, no, we're, we'll be open in January, in July. Sorry, July. Yeah. Um, Movie House Eatery said, we will let you know in about three weeks where we stand. Like every major chain said no. And there's a yeah. reason that they said no, because nobody wants to be the epicenter of an outbreak when we don't have the infrastructure to contain it and to manage it. Nobody wants that. And I don't want that for a small business either. If someone finds out that your nail salon was the epicenter that created not just five cases of coronavirus in a community, but 2,000 cases of coronavirus in that community, and now your business is shut down and you're at the whims of the state and the CDC and and whomever else, to get your license back and to do all this other stuff. I don't want that to happen either. Right. But we have and to be it, smart it's about, about it. the risk. We have to be smart. We have to consider the risk. If you're a restaurant and you can only open at 25% capacity, I'm not sure how much money you're going to make at 25% capacity anyway with overhead mm-hmm. when, you know, the margins mm-hmm. are slim when you're at 100%. So, Again, we nobody is saying we want anybody to go out of business. But, again, if you don't have people, you won't have a business. 
either way. So sometimes exactly. your protest can be silent, but also <laughs> loud uh, in terms of um, just protesting with your dollars and making sure that I, I will go to the grocery store because, of course, we all have to eat. But mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere else that I don't have to go, you know, that that's not necessary for me. Exactly. So, And I will tell you what is very telling. If I were in hair salon or a beauty salon, if I was a beauty salon or a barbershop, I would really weigh what my options are because when I look at places, um, you know, national places like Planet Fitness gyms and things of that nature, um, where they, even in states where gyms are allowed to be open, like the state of Arkansas, gyms are allowed to be open, Planet Fitness and LA Fitness are not open. Mm. So when I look at what their plans are, and again, I know they won't be closed forever, but I do think that they are being very cautious and they're developing yeah. plans that, and they're looking at how the infrastructure can actually help to um, you know, if there was an outbreak, you know, how what are, what how can they help contain it? What are the things that they can do to make sure there isn't an outbreak? I think there's all those things at play that businesses still have not figured out yet, primarily because guess what? We have no national plan. And that's by design, by the way, because when states start to fail individually, then the mm-hmm. White House will blame the governors and the local people. That's what you have to think about and look at. Um, it wasn't. It was by design that there is no national plan that could be adapted and modified on a state level or pushed down on a state level. That was by design exactly. because you know blame will never be at the top. But then at the same time, yeah. to come to highly populous states and say. Look at what Nebraska did and look at what Idaho did. And I'm like, okay, Nebraska and Idaho do not have the same amount of people in Texas, <laughs> nor Missouri or New York or California. I don't want to hear anything exactly. about Nebraska. Um, like, you can't tell me because Nebraska <laughs> is not a booming metropolis. Like, there's not a booming right. metropolis city that are producing um, – because I was insulted by the very notion of having, like, those smaller states with less populous states, um, less less um, diverse states actually coming to the forefront saying, well, we never closed and this is how we're, we're coping. You do not have the densities or the people or the issues yes. that any of these other major states have. Sit down. Have a seat. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing, you know, is this. We have to come together as a community. I understand protest in America. I have no problem with protesting because it changes things. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with these protests based on the mm-hmm. subject matter of haircuts. But mm-hmm. we have to stop and Think about how this is going to affect this next generation. And not just, mm-hmm. you know, the death, the, the education system, uh, the, the justice system, every touch point that makes up America is going to be touched 
is going to be affected mm-hmm. by what's happening now. And we all have to make a decision to say, okay, let's, let's stop doing the divide and conquer, and let's have a real conversation. Let's go beyond words and choose to do something about this. And it can't be mm-hmm. when Harvey came, it wasn't a uh, uh, race issue. And, and I'm, I'm talking about the Hurricane Harvey. When it came to Houston, mm-hmm. it wasn't a race issue because Harvey touched every socioeconomic portion of mm-hmm. this city from those who the have and the have not. And we had to make a decision to say it's all of us. We're, mm-hmm. we're all going to need electricity. We're all going to need help getting this water out of our apartments and our homes and things of that nature. We're all in the same boat. And if you don't think that in America right now we are all in the same boat, yes, there are some people with yachts, but again, so this yachts virus are all in the is same saying, ocean. We all right here at the same. We're in the same place. Yeah. So, so yeah. when we're protesting, let's protest something that helps us all. Yeah. And and that's my and, you know, it's on the whole thing. <laughs> and I will leave you with this. There's a recent report that just came out as we were talking that um, black Americans are more likely than their white counterparts to work in the service industries that have been shuttered for, for the past few weeks, and they are also more likely to suffer from health conditions that will make them more vulnerable to the, no, to the novel coronavirus. First of all, mm-hmm. we didn't need this report. We already knew this. Um, but I love how the Center for American Progress and the CDC, okay, you guys have put this report out here, so now what are you going to do? That's what we can push Mm -hmm. next. Don't just keep telling us that we are at high risk um, because we are in these high-touch, high-service industries. Now what are you doing to help us if we're disproportionately at risk? That's something that we can push for as well. Until we are declared a vulnerable population, the reports won't matter. Mm-hmm. And and that that's it, it's point blank. It's something that hasn't been discussed. I went on the CDC website, and I was trying to mm-hmm. figure out: Are we considered a vulnerable population? And they did have a hey, little blurb. You had to look it up. <laughs> But, but I mean, we, we weren't. Be, I, I hear you, but what comes with that declaration? Because if that declaration comes with, I have the option to tell my employer um, where it. I know there is a high outbreak that I am not coming there today, and I would be eligible for unemployment benefits. Then that classification gets me somewhere. Otherwise, it that classification gets me just what is getting the elderly who are stuck in these nursing facilities. Pretty much nothing. But but you, you hit the nail uh, on the head with what you just said because mm-hmm. then it has been, quotes here, legitimized. Because exactly. you constantly hear, hey, well, we're going by the CDC rules, and the CDC doesn't mm-hmm. say you're a vulnerable population. They just say you get mm-hmm. it more than us and you die more than us, but you are declared it's kind of like declaring a state of emergency in in a state. Mm-hmm. And until you declare it, then it, it's not, quote, unquote, real. It's not legitimate. 
when you declare it, that's when federal funding and all these other things you can potentially receive. So what I'm yep. saying is until they declare it, then if you go to your employer and say, look, I really don't feel comfortable coming to this job. I can do it from home. I I am in mm-hmm. the vulnerable um, population. Then there's more consideration yep. to that. But if you just go in and say, mm-hmm. look, you know, Nobody wants to talk about race at work ever. So you can't go in and mm-hmm. say, well, you know, I'm an African-American and we're dying. Yeah, but the CDC says that you guys just, because you have diabetes more than anybody else. Yeah, you're right. So so, so I get what you're saying as well. Where is it going to get us? But it's more that are in, you know, employed than maybe those who are older, that's 60, 70, and 80, that's in the workforce. So the, the, there, is a, there is a difference in that. But we can talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we certainly have had an awesome conversation protesting America. Again, Chanessa has stated so eloquently, you know, follow the CDC guidelines, hold your representatives accountable, you can silently protest with your dollars and make sure mm-hmm. that you are registered to vote. Is is that good? That is good. Can I just add one more? <laughs> if you you if certainly can. Employer calls, <laughs> listen, if your employer calls everyone back to work, yet you you can feel free to raise your hand and say, um, if we're not at full capacity, if I can continue to work at home, you have the right to make that request. And I know it may sound like a scary request, but in this time, day and age, no business is going to risk litigation on a request. So you have the right to ask that question, particularly if you still have your kids at home and you don't have adequate child care. So that is a right that you can ask if you can work from home um, based, on your, based on whether or not they're at full capacity. Okay. We take you beyond words here. That's, you know, that's the point of the show. And, Shanessa, I want to thank you so much, as always, for hosting a great Beyond Words. Darrell, we did miss you. In case you're listening, (laughs) we will talk to you later, but we did miss you on the show. And um, that has been all for now on Beyond Words here on your 15 Minutes Radio Network. Have a good night. Interested in advertising? Advertise today on the number one online radio network for entrepreneurs, your 15 minutes radio network. Contact us at advertise at your 15 minutes radio.com. Once again, once again, once again, you're tuned in to Beyond Words with our host, Shanessa White and Darrell Douglas. I want to take a moment to thank you guys so much for supporting Beyond Words. Today we talked about protests in America. We've really been having conversations and really candid conversations regarding COVID-19 and the impact that it has had on all of us. Everyone has been touched by this virus in some way or another. 
Um, unfortunately, there are some who have lost loved ones. There are some who are uh, going through um, being infected by the virus. And Beyond Words is a show that we want to say, okay, what's next? What what can we do now? We've had a great conversation. Uh, we've laughed, you know, and at times I'm sure some of you, all of us probably have cried at some point during this whole thing, but what do we do now? How do we go beyond words? So I wanted to thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I want to thank Chanessa White and Darrell Douglas for being hosts of the show. When, when, when this slows down, we're definitely going to have other topics of conversation, but this is something that's extremely important to us. And we wanted to pass along the message that we are here, that we're listening. If you guys have any comments, if you have any questions, if you want to just call in um, to so that we can hear your voice and your insight, you know, because this is not about division. This is about us coming together as one, trying to understand one another and one another's perspective and life experiences and what is holding all of us back from becoming one in this community that we call America, you know, in the world and in this life. So, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Beyond Words with Shanessa White and Darrell Douglas exclusively on your 15 Minutes Radio Network. Have a good night.